Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And today's guest is Alan Aloni. And Alan is a professional in the uh, cannabis space, uh, has an interesting kind of background and connection to cannabis, an interesting professional background. We're going to hear a little bit about that, uh, what he's doing in cannabis these days. And with that, Alan, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Yeah. So you've been in advertising, you've been in international relations, you've been in counterterrorism. Um, give us a little bit of sense of your professional background. How has cannabis come up? And then why uh, why get into the cannabis space now? I'm curious. Sure. So actually, I started in the music industry in the in the uh, in the mailroom of Priority Records, uh-huh. and then from there I started managing artists, and I got one kind of signed to a to a development deal. I got pushed out, then moved up to San Francisco and started in advertising. I started in the mailroom at Goodby Silverstein and Partners. Yeah. Now throughout this whole time, I was always doing some, you know little grams here, grams there of dealing. So I always had cannabis kind of in my, you know, in my uh, immediate vicinity uh, in both the professional and personal life. Yeah. Then after 9-11, I, uh, I kind of just felt like I needed to do my part. And I started, I went back to school and I went back to school in Israel at a place called the Interdisciplinary Center and or the IDC at the IDC I was part of an international program it's a interdisciplinary degree so I was able to kind of mold my own you know focus of of major and I decided to do it in strategic studies and during that time there were a couple of think tanks on campus that I was able to work for the Institute of Policy and Strategy and the Institute of Counterterrorism mm-hmm. 
One of my claim to fames at the Institute of Policy and Strategy was when Arik Sharon, former prime minister of Israel, made his announcement for the disengagement of Gaza. I was actually the guy that got the uh, speech about wow. 15 minutes early so I could upload it onto the website right as he finished. Yeah. So, you know, it was really like connected in all of that. I also uh, was taught under uh, former NSA director of Israel, Dr. Uzi Arad. So, you know, I, I was able to, I was exposed to people like uh, Jose Anzar, uh, former prime minister yeah. of Spain, president of Spain. It was just an amazing experience. But the thing was, I actually was pretty shell-shocked during the Lebanon war during 06. And uh, I came back pretty, you know, physically ill, actually. And then uh, kind of was running around, you know, social media was blossoming and mm -hmm. it was a natural extension for someone who had the advertising background like I did. Uh, so started in one internship, then it moved into starting to get paid. And then next thing I know, I'm freelancing. Mm -hmm. Well, the cannabis industry was always on, on my radar. And about a year ago, I was given two opportunities. It was one in the automotive or the other was in cannabis. And I ran with the cannabis one. <laughs> I mean, on a personal note, I've always been doing like uh, little grows here and there uh -huh. and making my own bubble hash and, you know, those kind of fun things. But to, to bring it into a professional side was something that I, uh, I dreamt about. Unfortunately, just like everything, you know, and we'll, and we'll talk a little bit more about this if you'd like, but, you know, just there's a lot of newbies in the industry. And yeah. so there's a kind of a new direction of professionalism that's very different. You know, I, I was in a situation where, and I, I won't go into specifics as far as who is concerned, but mm -hmm. they prided themselves on being vague. And what that found to me in leadership was someone who wasn't willing to commit and blame everybody else but themselves. Yeah. And I'm saddened to say that I've actually been through two experiences within the cannabis industry where that was prevalent. Yeah. The lack of an exit strategy is mind blowing with such potential in this industry. Yeah. And so I, it's really sad that I've kind of seen that and I'm really hoping <laughs> to change that up with my own kind of ventures and yeah. in this business. Well, that's one of the reasons I was kind of curious to, to have you on and talk about it, because I think that's that's one of the dynamics or, or one of the uh, stigmas, I think, right now within the cannabis space is this, is, is it really really ready for kind of primetime business or professional business? And I think that's, uh, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of really good, well-meaning, highly skilled kind of professionals in the space, uh, but that's not everyone. And uh, certainly it's something I advise people get getting into the space uh, to be aware of. And, um, you know, you've got to do your due diligence and you've got to anticipate there's going to be a, a certain amount of a certain amount of that in the business dealings that you have. And you have to kind of not be surprised by it, at least. So let's go back and talk a little bit about some of the experiences you've had, because I think that part of this for me is, you know, in terms of people that have been in various facets of, you know, cannabis historically, um, I mean, there's two that I'm particularly interested in. One, kind of the music scene. And I guess to what extent was cannabis integrated into your professional work? Like as you were working with uh, artists, as you're working with uh, the industry, was this part of the day-to-day -day workings of the operation? I mean, where where was the cannabis kind of culture at that point? That's that's funny you mentioned that. Okay, so I, I want to be very clear that when this time in my life, I had just finished high school. This was actually my first real job at, uh -huh. out of high school at Priority Records. Yeah. And one of the things that I need, I felt I needed to do, was always have my wits with me when it came to situations involved with cannabis. Uh -huh. So I made sure the tolerance was really high and I smoked a lot. 
<laughs> to make sure that if I was ever in a situation where business, where an opportunity of business would arise, I would have that wits with me. And did it work? And was your strategy successful? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I definitely was the guy who, you know, definitely in situations of having to get out of, you know, whether it was driving or organizing or those kind of things when you're on tour, it's a very, you know, crazy kind of environment to be able to kind of, you know, walk in the studio and be someone who, who was on point. It was a very big advantage. I mean, I was exposed to some pretty crazy artists and some pretty crazy situations. I actually got kind of hit up by Raekwon one night. (laughs) (laughs) That was, uh, you know, just like all these situations and, you know, kind of cannabis was always around. In fact, I never saw anything but cannabis because I was in hip hop. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's blunts. And one thing working in the mailroom, you always make friends like that's one thing that I learned is make friends with the receptionists and people in the mailroom because they know everything that's going on in the company. Yeah. yeah. And they so, can get everything and they can they can make things happen that uh, other people can't. So one one thing we used to do was we made friends with the guys in the in the uh, parking structure. So they would call us up every time Snoop would come in and we'd run downstairs to go into Snoop's ashtray in his navigator <laughs> to pick out a blunt or two because he <laughs> smoked the whole blunt. So you get these roaches that were just huge. <laughs> So leftovers. Snoop, you're you're taking taking his leftovers. Yeah. Hey, Snoop, if you're listening, thank you very much. Many a days when I was Jones and making twenty one thousand dollars a year, you came and helped us out in the mailroom. That's too funny. <laughs> that's too funny. That, but I think that's part of the dynamic of this industry is that you know there's been you know this kind of various facets of pop culture in various industries and locations for a while, and and I think a lot of a lot of what kind of is causing sort of drama or dynamics in the industry is kind of the kind of the collision or the uh, intersection of these different cultures. And, you know, on one hand, you know, it's becoming a big sort of big business, but, you know, it's not necessarily shedding its, its historical roots. I mean, not nor should it, but, you know, there's definitely kind of this evolution or at least this understanding of hey, it, it has a history. And if you're going to be an entrepreneur or an investor in the space, like coming in and, and getting involved in this, you kind of have to understand that. I think that there's also an expectation that there's some sort of hippie kind of wellness connected to this industry. And the truth is, at least how I'm seeing it with, you know, uh, companies buying up other companies, MedMen, all of these big organizations that it's just indicative to what's happened in our culture of the rich getting richer and everybody else staying in the same level. And what I'm seeing is, is even at the lowest level of like dispensaries, where people are expecting to see women uh, with big boobs and and not much education behind the plant versus someone who who's less about the the aesthetics and more about the education, you know, knowing terpene profiles and what CBDs do and how you know extraction methods are are produced and you know all of those things that you know unfortunately it's it's. Uh, it's not as easy to get on places like the web unless you know where to look for it and things like that. And so I'm seeing this huge, you know, especially with all of the uh, bigger investments, you know, the the funds and these guys who really know what business is that, you know, things like high production, you know, we're, we're not going to get the kind of, you know, uh, love of the plant like we're used to. And then also just these these investors of wealthy. We're not in a place in our society where people come from nothing and 
turn into something. I mean, people are calling Kylie Jenner a self-made billionaire. <laughs> and, it's, <laughs> and it's just like, no, she's not. She came from a family that had means yeah. to be able to invest in her and allow her to shine her talents. The thing about cannabis is that we've been in, in the shadows for so long that, you know, many of the best are behind bars. And, you know, funds don't want to invest in criminals. And you're not going to see these people when they get out or when they have their sentences commuted and all of these things. I don't, unfortunately, I don't see a lot of these companies investing in these people. When, in my opinion, that is the expectation of this industry. And that is kind of the, the movement of where it should be. And I think that, you know, people like myself who, who've had an experience, um, you know, doing the, the ad world and the digital media world and knowing what, you know, what it's like to come in and out of an office every day and having, you know, certain professionalisms and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, those kind of things. I think that if we include ourselves in the industry and people are open to it, it can bring these people who would normally not be given the opportunities and thrust them in. Because I think that the people who want to lead and the people who have the skill set, they need to intersect so that they can become, you know, a good investment for these funds, but still know their roots. And I think that when you've gotten, when you've got the huge investors into it, just like the tech industry, I mean, it's it's very much the, the same thing. I mean, you know, I think we're we're in the age of uh, homebrew computer club. Do you know about the homebrew computer yeah. club? Yeah. So I think we're we're in that age right now where the Ataris and the, um, the Commodores yeah. are being established right now, and then they're going to be eaten up by even bigger companies. Yeah. And you know, the Microsofts which we can, I guess, you know, somebody like MedMen who have expanded very well and they've done smart things like, you know, putting a dispensary in Times Square. They're not selling anything there, but just everybody's going to know that there's a dispensary there. I mean, I thought it was genius, but these are going to be the companies that are going to, you know, I'm afraid convolute the entire industry. Oh, and one hand, cannabis is like any other industry, and it's you know takes business sense and business logic and investment and capital and all those things. On the other hand, it's quite different. It's got such a sort of diverse cultural background, and and you know kind of the the legal dynamics and everything make it make it quite unique. And I think that you know it takes a, a slightly different kind of entrepreneur and slightly different kind of investor to be successful in this space. So I it, disagree. And okay. In fact, I'll go as far as to say, like I'm I'm currently involved in a fund where the person who brought me in is actually 83 years old, and he comes from real estate. And he's in the process of building a lab on his own real estate. And I, I, I say this because what he's bringing is a professionalism to the, the fund, what they've done. And I've got to tell you, I mean, he's I'm so impressed with the way that he's uh, in, researched his potential investments. I'm just saying that, like, I see new people entering this industry. I see them enjoying the potential. It's just they're not people who have been involved in the industry. Does that make sense? No, I, I agree. I mean, why do you think he got involved? Or why do you think the, what was the move to get involved in cannabis? Or was it just, hey, this is just like any other business and I see opportunity, I'm going to yeah. get in there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, exactly. I do think there is, I do think there's a, a certain amount of knowledge you have to have around the space 
to to successfully navigate it. Um, and I think that you know it, because it has this kind of legal situation because it does have a, you know this kind of cultural background. Like being oblivious to those things is potentially a liability. But yeah, I mean, I think look, I think the a lot of the benefits of the or a lot of the the good things that have happened over the last you know two three years in the space is that you have gotten a lot more people involved that are you know quote unquote professionals um, in in the business side on the investor side. Yeah, definitely. And and it's just going to keep growing. In fact, I think it's going to grow faster in the situation it's in now. Like I think there are there are companies that, you know, more uh, the tobacco side of companies, but uh, I think that there's a lot of these companies that are ready to pull the trigger but are waiting until there's a federal legalization. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, they're all there's they've towed the sidelines and they're waiting for waiting yeah. for the gun gun to go off, which is I mean, from a strategy point of view for most of these companies, I think is is a big question. I mean, you know, do you grow as quickly as you can? Do you try to consolidate and form bigger entities that can compete with the big players? Do you, you know, carve out a niche that you can either continue to own or make it, you know, easier for you to get acquired than to compete against? I think those are all kind of big picture strategy questions and everyone's, you know, roadmaps. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are on, you know, what happens when federal legalization happens, but like that's a big question. Well, I'll tell you that I'm predicting less growth. What I'm predicting is people coming in with large amounts of money buying up and yeah. and consolidating whether it's grows, whether it's extraction, whether it's labs. Yeah. You know, when when someone asks me where the best like like my mother's a day trader for fun and she's been killing it with Tilray and and Canopy and all these and it's because this is the time to do it. And she started when they when they went IPO. So yeah. she's been in for a little bit. And what I see happening is a lot of consolidation, like we were talking about before. It's the it's the homebrew computer club and yeah. the Steve Jobs and the 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 uh, um, Bill Gates and all of them are sitting in a in a room right now. And, you know, they're showing off their computer system, whatever, whatever side of the, the cannabis industry they're in. That's what they're showing off right now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the VCs are sitting outside salivating because they know what potential is there. And so I see once it goes legal on the Fed side, you're going to see a huge investment. But what worries me the most is twofold. One, most advocates when it comes to cannabis uh, lobbying are very single-minded when it comes to their politics. They're single-issued. So if, for example, Donald Trump wants a few more votes, I could see him politically making this a situation where he goes and he uh, legalizes it to get those votes. Yeah. And yeah, I'm afraid I... that you know something like that can happen. The other thing, too, is how it's going to roll out. I mean, you know, is the FDA going to, you know, set a standard? Like one of the ideas that I had um, when I was working at this media company, um, this education platform was, you know, get everybody and some big names involved in cannabis and run a, a Kickstarter to create a, a certification program that is universal. To certify what? What, to, to, to uh, what part of the process but, you want to certify? Bud tenders, oh, extraction. I see. Okay. Yeah. All right. You know, just, just get really granular into the different, because you're, there's only a handful of schools that teach you the stuff. And then after that, you're kind of on your own. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, this is going to bring people who 
would normally not have an opportunity because let's face it, most of the people who are involved in cannabis sold cannabis. They didn't produce cannabis. Yeah, exactly. And the people who produce cannabis, you know, are are either getting picked up at some of these places and being master growers or, you know, they have their own facilities. I really like, for example, what um, what are they their uh, um, uh, Flocana, yeah. where what they do is buy from the smaller farm. Yeah. And They're so co- if, like a cooperative. Yeah. yeah. And if we see more of that, I mean, I know California, they stopped the cooperatives. There's no there's no more of that. So yeah. everybody's got to be a for profit business. Uh-huh. And I think that that's definitely going to bring in some of these kind of wealthier sharks, especially on the real estate side. Yeah. Because that's a that's the big thing about cannabis is, you know, the difficulty in real estate. Yeah. So uh, another topic I wanted to chat about, just because I think you've got some unique perspective or or. You know, I'm curious about it. Uh, you know, being an Israeli, having time in Israel. You know, I don't. I'm not sure how many people know, but uh, you know, sort of the birth or the a lot of the origins of real cannabis research was you know was based in Israel, and I think a lot of a lot of the data and science that we have around application of cannabis and effects of cannabis actually comes from Israeli research. I forget it was a. Uh, I'm going to butcher his name, Raphael McCollum, or I can't remember exactly who it was. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, at the Weissman Institute. He's currently at uh, the University of Jerusalem. I know who you're talking about. I, I the pronunciation of his name escapes me. <laughs> I am more Israeli by um, citizenship because of my parents yeah. versus actually speaking the language and yeah. all that. But you know, it's it's interesting because Hebrew. Sorry for being that nerd, but no, Hebrew is actually only about modern Hebrew is only about 150 to 200 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Before that, it was Aramaic uh, yeah. Hebrew. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, interesting language. Interesting situation. And and I guess I mean I guess from from your experience there, I mean, what what is the uh, kind of cultural and kind of political take on cannabis in Israel? Well, you first off, they've had the longest running medical program in cannabis in the entire world. Yeah. And so roughly, there's about six, seven thousand people, maybe ten thousand that receive cannabis through the medicine through socialized medicine like they're they're it's literally taken care of within their insurance yeah i've actually smoked some of that stuff it's not very good (laughs) (laughs) and why is that is it just a different strain different producer it's just low quality you know the thing about it is is that a lot of these grows and and we're going to find this you know i know that they're uh, i forgot the university here in in the states but they're they're able to grow cannabis for research purposes, but it cannot exceed a certain THC, mm-hmm. really, really low THC. Um, and so I, I, I think it just, you know, that's that's kind of how they do it. I did have some, you know, in all honesty, the the cannabis that I had in Israel was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but the hatch was amazing. And, that, and why is that? I come from Hollywood, born and raised, right? Yeah. So for me, it's all about, I don't care what your background is. It's just who you are as a person. Yeah. So... At my school, I made a lot of friends with the Arabs, and that's why I'd go to the West Bank and I'd, I'd have more hash in my hands than I would cannabis. <laughs> so, like, for example, um, the reason why is because they could grow and, you know, as they grow, they could use the entire plant to produce hash versus, you know, kind of the buds here and the cuts there. And so these were like quick grows, like, let me just get it out there. When I took a trip to the Becca Valley in southern Lebanon. Yeah. You'd see just as far as you could see cannabis. They would just pull everything off the plant and uh, put it in their bags and and go and press it. Like that's all they did. It wasn't about the buds. Um, I met a few kibbutzniks that would grow kind of on their own. 
and it was like okay yeah but uh yeah it was a hash hash place man for sure yeah, interesting. I mean, I just one of the things that's fascinating for me is kind of seeing how cannabis, you know, has been kind of adopted, you know, culturally from an economic point in different countries. And you know, I think we're you know every everyone here is kind of this. Oh well, we're you know all of a sudden there's all this cannabis talk in the U.S. and the fact that cannabis has been you know a lot of places for hundreds, thousands of years, and you know used in different ways for different purposes and different economies. But um, you know, there's lots to learn, and there's a lot of different kind of you know, manifestations of, of it in kind of different areas. I'm curious, what other experiences, you know, in terms of looking well, at your understanding of cannabis broadly? Well, you know, it's, uh, I was actually going to tell you about two stories. Uh, one, my first seven days in Israel, met a few kids from school. Then, you know, of course, you go out. You, so I like to say real recognizes real. And within, I think, my fifth day, I'm sitting on a pound and a half of, of, of cannabis. It wasn't the best cannabis, but... You know, and I paid like, I think it was like 500 shekels, so maybe $125 for it. Okay. This stuff was seeds and stems and all that. But what do I do? I go to my first college party with a box of blunts and this pound and a half. And I'm like, go for it. Real recognizes real. Yeah. Another, uh, I'm, uh, I go to Poland. Uh, one of my clients was the March of the Living. They send people from all over the world to uh, Auschwitz and Birkenau for uh, Holocaust Memorial. And they actually do a march from Auschwitz to Birkenau, which they used to call the death march. Uh, yeah. but, so I'm outside the hotel. The guy didn't even speak English. Next thing I know, I'm at a house party smoking weed because pot smokers recognize pot smokers. It's every how it is, you know. And yeah. that's one thing that I'm that is going to get lost in the industry with the big investments is that you got these guys coming in and they don't understand the pot culture. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's part of this dynamic is that you know traditionally there, there has been a very strong cultural element to it. Like you know, if you're if you're in the pot culture, if you're a pot user, like yeah, you you can kind of find your brethren in in yes. just about anywhere you go, and it's kind of a it is a social thing. You know, it's it's a way it's a it's a vehicle for connecting with folks. You know, and and people that get it get it, and there's kind of this immediate bond. And I think that's changing, or I think that that is being challenged by the you know the growth of the industry. Now, I was on the front lines as a bud tender, and I have to tell you that the age of vaping is going to completely, fundamentally change the culture of cannabis consumption. It's, so tell me more about that. I think I understand what you mean, but, but explain more. Right. So first and foremost, when you're vaping, you're not sharing. And one of the things about cannabis that I always found, especially when you're rolling joints, is the share factor. Passing a joint, having a conversation incorporating that whole kind of what do you do what do you do that real recognizes real like what i was discussing earlier i would get these guys who'd come in and you know their 50s their 60s they'd buy you know five four three you know grams they do this that but they're guys who like they'll smoke that by themselves in the evening their wife is inside you know kind of thing or you know they'll bring it to a concert or you know it's this very these events that should be communal end up becoming individual. And especially when we're in the age of everybody looking into their phones as opposed to their world and then recording it just to tell people that they were there. I think that the vape is definitely indicative to that. And given its convenience, I think that it's, it's going to fundamentally change. I mean, think about it. It's just like cars. You know, people don't drive manuals anymore. 
So they're the least they're the least stolen vehicles on the planet. That's why I own one. That's so funny. Um, yeah. They're also very fun. So it's the same thing. Like kids don't know how to roll joints these days. So <laughs> you know, you're absolutely right. They don't. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. I just see a lot of this. And, and so I think that there is a level of professionals that have been smoking for a long time that understand that culture. And I think we need to come into this industry and lead it, not just get investment in and out. I don't think a lot of people are in it for the long term either. And that's a whole other subject. <laughs> well, uh, you know, it's like any, any, anything that has uh, froth around it and, you know, it is garnering interest is, you know, it's going to be right for people that want to uh, flip a dollar and make make a quick buck. So interesting, because I always find the, you know, people that are coming in from outside the U.S. or have at least a somewhat of an international perspective and know, you know, kind of cannabis at a broader level have you know, just a different take. And I think they have a different mindset around it. So I, I think it's refreshing to you know, see some people get involved uh, in the U.S. market that way. Well, I, I do want to be very clear that my time overseas was 03 to 07. Yeah. And so I definitely think things have changed. You know, I definitely know, at least on the cell phone, <laughs> you know, that, that it was before the iPhone. Yeah. You know, I, I'm saying that because I definitely am sure things have changed since I was out there. Yeah. Especially given that Israel, like, for example, is now legalized the export. And, you know, these guys are farmers, man. Israel is a farming, you know, the 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 the, the Zionist movement is all about farming. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it was, it's big. They, they can turn nothing into something in the middle of the desert. Yeah, it really is incredible. <laughs> like this, with the with the most uh, un, seemingly unproductive land and, and soil, uh, you know, with, with some focus and technology and, and smarts. What can well, you do? Tel Aviv, north of Tel Aviv, all the way up to Haifa, that was all swamp marshes. And they filled it up. That's why they have the biggest cockroaches I've ever seen in my life. And they fly, too. It's crazy. And they <laughs> run into the window, and you're like in the middle of the night, and you hear plap, you know, splat. And you're just like, what is going on? It's like on? a bird. It's like a bird hit the window. <laughs> so in terms of where you see the U.S. market going, I mean, we're in this, you know, kind of crazy situation of, you know, state-by-state legalization and legalization is different and other regulation is different at every level. I mean, where do you see kind of the opportunities? Where do you see, uh, you know, development happening? I mean, as, you know, someone who's a professional and, you know, someone who's been familiar with the pop culture for a long time, like, where do you see this playing out? Sure. Um, so I, I'll tell you that um, I think right now we're in the wild west of branding. And I say branding because as far as the quality of cannabis, I mean, I think we push the plant to such an extent that the mass production of it and its consistency is already there as far as a product is. Okay. So I really think is now is the time where brands can establish themselves. I like local markets where, you know, a mom and pop shop can apply for their, you know, uh, micro business license and then open up a distributing and then white label their stuff and maybe sell to like 10, 15 stores as a new revenue stream. I see a lot of that happening if they're smart, you know, <laughs> because there's a lot of white label cannabis out there. And again, I think the quality has already gotten there where it's nothing but consistent. Mm -hmm. And with that said, I think the branding of, you know, I think Candescent has done a really good job. You know, they don't they don't give you strains, they give you feelings. And I, I get it's kind of hokey. Yeah. But for the for the newly entered consumer in the industry, that that's something that they'll move towards. I don't like that there's a lot of focus on the stereotypical stoner culture. 
okay. with some of the branding. But I think that that will slowly dissipate as more investment comes in, um, more opportunities on the marketing side, too, because you have to remember that the two largest online platforms to market yourself has been completely, you know, you have to you have to know how to finagle your way through. And that's Google and Facebook. Yeah. And so, you know, it, what I like about it is it's marketing in the roots. So going into direct mail and stuff like that. But again, it's going to be, you know, I, I really want this industry to be more on that mom and pop level. And I really want to see more of a localized because cannabis in every community is different. And access to it should be based upon what the community wants, how it to be accessible. And we're going to find pl other places in the United States. Let's say we go completely legal. We're going to find communities that just don't want it. And we're going to find places that we yeah. didn't know that just need it. Mm -hmm. And the brands that kind of position themselves in the current state legal markets are really going to have a, a head start. Brands like Select that I saw in, in Nevada, they, they have a great CBD line, but their cannabis line is, is just as good. You know, their vapes and stuff. You know, Henry's Henry's Original, They I love their packaging. They're a great little brand. I mean, there's Flocana, another one. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some really good stuff out there. And uh, again, I, I see a lot of mom and pop shops localizing their grow to kind of position themselves. And then, you know, after a few years, I see them all getting bought out, <laughs> which yeah. is okay. I definitely yeah. think that there's going to be movements of the plant being used in different communities. I see a lot of movement in the 55 and older, yeah. especially when it comes to like wellness centers and those kind of things. I, I see there, there being a push into, you know, I think that once it goes legal, you're going to have a big uh, support from places like AARP. Yep. And that is going to completely open up the market to such an extent that, I mean, it's just the only people that are really going to take advantage of it are going to be these big companies that have the resources to do it. Yeah. But again, I, I want to see the mom and pop shops flourish and a good micro business license, white label some cannabis with their with their product uh, marketing on it yeah. and put it out in the community. I see a lot of that. And then what's cool about that is that when you go to different regions, you get to try different cannabis that are specific to that place. Yeah. And that's something that I remember just growing up, like, you know, taking our runs to, to Arcata in, 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 uh, in Humboldt <laughs> County and, you know what I'm saying? Just getting different kinds. And it was always different than what we got down South. And, you know, it, it's just that uh, when I, when I would hang out in Amsterdam and go to different coffee shops to get different, different kinds, like yeah. this is how I want it, how I want it to be, how yeah. it will be is a totally different story. But in my five-year plan, I hope to actually have my shop where I have a micro business license and I'm going to do that. I like white it. label some cannabis, sell it to other local shops and just enjoy the local market. I like it. I like it. Alon, this has been a pleasure. If, if people want to get a hold of you and find out more information, follow up on some of these points, what's the best way to contact you? Um, well, you can hit me at my email, which is a.aloni77 at gmail.com. You can hit me up on LinkedIn linkedin.com slash in slash alone a-l-o-n aloni a-l-o-n-i yes i did have a rough childhood it does happen um, <laughs> i was a 12 pound baby so I, I i have to uh get, you know my mother gets uh flowers on my birthday so uh, yeah. i love it i love it I'm, i'll make sure that those are in the show notes so people can uh click through and get a hold of you this has been a pleasure great conversation thank you so much for taking the time and we will keep in touch great take care man You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. 
To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.